SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary-defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks, and we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850+, plus, their best-selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if, like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 plus Manuka honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's manukora.com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome to SciShow Tangents. It's the lightly competitive science knowledge showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green. And joining me as always this week is science expert, Sari Riley. Hello. And our resident everyman, Sam Schultz. Hello. I would like to give you both a suggestion. And that is to renew your driver's license before it expires. Oh. That's a great suggestion. I don't want to be without a driver's license. Yeah, it's, it's somewhat that. And it is also that apparently... The company that handles your international business compliance regulations will notice that your driver's license is expired, and then they will need you to send them your social security card, which you do not have. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have your social security card? I thought I did. When was the last time I looked at it, though? Mm Ten years ago? So I went to the folder that has it in there, and there's Catherine's. I uh, lost mine in the dorms of 
the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, which Not seems surprising. really bad, but it's in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> artists are notorious identity thieves. It could be someone being doing nice things with my identity, perhaps. Yeah, some, yeah it's just like getting real weird. Yeah. <laughs> What's the weirdest identity theft that you could do? You just get a call one day from NASA and they're like, so we've accepted your application. <laughs> yeah, that would be a good one. You're going to space. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all I mean, paying off all your loans. Oh, that'd be amazing. That's not weird. That's just nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or like, it's pretty weird. really a lot you can do with just your social security number. Is there? I don't know. I think I that you, they're more careful about it now than they yeah. used to be because how uh, all information is available to anyone how everywhere. Everybody yeah. was getting signed up to be astronauts, so they had to <laughs> crack down. It was a real problem. <laughs> well, that's too bad, Hank. My my brother and my dad went on a trip. And my brother didn't renew his driver's license and he was getting on a plane or something. And they were like, hey, your driver's license is expired. You're in trouble. And my dad got really mad at him and started yelling at him. And then he handed him his driver's license and they said, your driver's license is also expired. You are also in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Is your driver's license expired? Do you learn from that story? It probably is very close to expired. Mm. Is it every seven years? In Montana, it's like 10, I think. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I I'd had mine for so long I forgot that they expired. Oh it's my god! It's just long enough that forever. you're like, I don't have to ever worry about this. Yeah, I mm-hmm. haven't had to worry because I've never lived in one place that long. Like every oh, yeah. five years or so, up and move again. Well, or you could be like me and you move and you just don't update your driver's license. <laughs> I also do. Yeah. I found my passport card, so at least I can go to VidCon. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> you could drive there. <laughs> oh, you can't because your driver's license is expired. <laughs> You're right. Never I, mind. I absolutely cannot. I need to get an Uber. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be very expensive. <laughs> Every week here on SciShow Tangents, we get together to try to one up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts while trying to stay on topic. Our panelists are playing for glory and for Hank Bucks, which I will be awarding as we play. At the end of the episode, one of them will be crowned the winner. For the whole month of July, we will be celebrating the childlike wonder present in science with a bunch of topics inspired by the sort of things that kids love, like dinosaurs and spaceships, things like that. Now, we're calling it Kids Month, but that does not mean that you shouldn't enjoy tangents with your kids necessarily, as we still will swear, maybe sometimes, and also definitely talk about horrible things. But something you can enjoy with your kids is our sister show, SciShow Kids, on YouTube. It's like SciShow, but for early elementary kids. It's hosted by the lovely Jesse Knudsen Castaneda who you may know from her channel Animal Wonders, and Anthony Brown, and also Squeaks, the robot rat. Now, as always, we're <laughs> going to introduce this week's kidsy topic with the traditional science poem, this week from Sam. The world can be a scary place for everyone, both man and beast. There's hate and war and violence, or you might just end up someone's feast. And it's easy to fixate on the bad, and important too in many cases, but it doesn't hurt to seek the joy that's evident in many places. Like countless YouTube videos of a kitten pouncing on a kid, or a raven sledding down a hill on a discarded yogurt lid, or dolphins leaping from the sea for no particularly important reason, or a dog bounding through piles of leaves on a bright chilly day in the autumn season. So fear and pain and hunger are felt by all creatures every day. But it's important, I think, to keep in mind another thing we all do is play. 
play is the topic of the day's episode. Thank you, Sam, for your lovely poem and for reminding us that despite the fact that every day I do experience all of those negative emotions. (laughs) We're all very sad. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe some days I might miss one of them, but uh, I should also... Hunger is pretty much always going to be there, unless you had really a lot of food the day before. Sometimes I don't have hunger because I just eat all the time. (laughs) Not a great way to do it. but uh, I I get to play quite a bit because of how I have a five-year-old and he forces it on everybody, which is great. I'm glad he does. <laughs> Sari, what is play? This one, you really gave me a hard... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we start, we're starting off Kids Month with the one of the hardest definitions on mm-hmm. tangents thus far. Do you want me to tell you what play is? Well, I I have sources. I have literature. But yeah, what's play? What's when, play you know hey? it when you see it. What's... You and Sam yeah, should you know, both define it. It's it's like um it's like uh I got nothing. <laughs> well, you looked so confident. Yeah. Ah, what is wrong with Do you? you know what play when you you say okay, you play with Orin. What yeah. does that mm-hmm. look like? What's that play? Well, there's there is it's happy. Um it does not have a purpose. Um and we laugh. I guess you don't have to laugh though. I guess for it to be play, I like the idea that you can play an instrument. Like that's the verb for using oh, yeah. an instrument is to play, mm-hmm. uh, despite the fact that oftentimes it's, it can be quite serious, but other times it can definitely be quite fun. Don't you think some people would say like play is really just training you to do like your what's it called when you're hand-eye coordination or like to right. do things when you grow up, right. like combat. Yeah. Right, right. Like, the, the, the lions play so that they can later kill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, maybe that's why we have the instinct, but that's not what we experience when we perform the instinct. So that's, like, I think that's the foundational knowledge upon which a lot of theories of play were built in the past few decades. They were like, we got to connect play to some sort of survival instinct. But now sure. we're finding more and more animals that aren't better at the things that the play is supposed to help them be better at. So like they don't get better. Mice oh, yeah. that play fight aren't the better best at protecting themselves. Mice later on. Or, they don't become warriors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or otters that play with rocks and just kind of like toss them around aren't faster or better at cracking open shellfish. Huh. And mm-hmm. so these these constructs that we've created, the, all these hypotheses that we've made that like, okay, play is just a training state. Like that's why it's evolutionarily in our brains to do uh, is slowly being deconstructed and more and more people are trying to explain why these spontaneous fun behaviors exist. And now we've moved on to like the mental health level of it, of like play just helps you adapt to different scenarios and be resilient when things surprise you and Mm -hmm. like reduce stress. Hmm. And that is because of a lot of play in like social development stages of play as children and like the way that adults and children play or that children play by themselves or with other kids you can't do an unethical experiment where you're like you're not allowed to play child but you can look at different (laughs) kinds ways that kids play Mm -hmm. and how they grow up and kind of guess conclusions but I feel like this is one of the things where if if they discover this episode in a hundred years, they'll be like, they were so wrong. You fools. Yeah, you, you idiots. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Uh-huh. Sari, I bet the word play doesn't have a very clear etymology. No, it doesn't. But it comes from a lot of like physical aspects. So 
I think in the way that play is most immediately associated with like play a sport or like mm-hmm. play tussle or I don't know, throw a stick around that. That was the yeah. first <laughs> definition of, you know, the very the fun first game, game of throw throw a stick, stick. <laughs> <laughs> stick throw um, is to like occupy oneself. So there's the uh, proto West Germanic, uh, Plago Janon, which means to occupy oneself. Um, and then Plagen in Old English meant to move lightly and quickly, amuse mm. oneself, engage in active exercise. So play was very much a, a thing that you did. You did a brisk activity and then you were playing, uh, probably because a lot of kids ran, ran around. And so it became like quick motion or exercise. But then as the word evolved, then play ended up being something to describe time, something that you can stop and start. And that's where like playing a role and playing an instrument and Mm. uh, like playing a part all came from where play as a word started being used in broader and broader contexts. Mm. And like in this episode, we're talking about play as like the fun thing because it's an episode about kids, but like as a verb, that's how it ended up in so many different contexts where we were just mm. like, ah, oh, you move your body and you do a thing. So that's playing. You're playing. That's sure. playing. Mm, okay. And that means it's time to move on to the quiz portion of our show. This week, we're playing a little game called The Scientific Definition. So playing is fun. The only way to make it more fun is to spend a significant amount of your life studying, documenting, and describing how we play. (laughs) (laughs) In the process, scientists have come up with a very very impressive set of words and phrases to define different kinds of play. So for today, we're going to be playing the play edition of The Scientific Definition. I'm going to give you a word, and you're going to have to try to define it and whoever comes closest to the actual definition is going to get a point. Okay. Do you understand? Yes. Yes. I do. Okay. Word number one. We're playing right now. We are. Wow. Well, no, I'm too stressed to play. Uh, <laughs> I'm not happy yeah, to free. I'm worried about a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll try <laughs> to have people, fun. People watching, I might lose. Mm-hmm. I might look silly. The first word is thanatosis. Ooh. Thanatos is a character on... Gargoyles, but also oh. from the play A Midsummer's Night's Dream, I think. Is he? <laughs> I don't know. I believe so. Sam, you're so educated. You're so Well, artsy. I learned about the Gargoyles character before I learned about the Shakespeare character. <laughs> <laughs> I took the back way. Uh, so I'm going to guess it has something to do with acting. Uh, or mm, what oh. did he do? you do? You guess for a minute. Let me think about what Thanatos did in that play. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanatos to me. And I don't know where this is coming from because it's not in in the Persona video games. It's Tartarus, but I feel like Thanatos is like death. I I, I somewhere oh in my gosh. brain the the, the clouds of thought are overlapping. Where I'm like, eh, it's like a, a death thing. <laughs> it's a death thing. It's a death thing. Okay. It's like a it's a morbidity thing. And so I'm gonna guess that Thanatosis is like when a possum plays dead or when a snake plays dead to like, oh, shit. I'm dead. Don't pay any attention to me. Oh, like yeah. X's fries. Um, now I'm really that's doubting the myself. Thing. That sounds really good, but I'll just guess something different than what you said anyway. Cause I think you're right. Uh, I'll go along with my original train of thought. It's maybe like pretending to be a thing that you're not like a, like a something pretending to be a snake that isn't a snake. 
Oh, and that is that a uh, is that something that the gargoyle Thanatos did? No, I think in the I don't. First of all, I'm really doubting that there's a Thanatos in either Midsummer's Night's Dream or Gargoyles <laughs> at this point. I think it's Xanatos, and I think he's a different. Guy. <laughs> so I was just going off of how they turn yeah, a guy yeah. into a. It dawn. is Xanatos. I um, remember yeah. Xanatos. He was like oh, the yeah. main bad guy. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he's like he's Will Riker. Yes, he's Will Riker, and he likes to cosplay as a gargoyle. Yeah. <laughs> there is Xanatos in Shakespeare as well. I think there's a Thanatos somewhere, but I think you're right about it being death. Mm. Anyway, Hank, humiliate me now, please. Sari is 100% correct. I knew it. That's exactly (laughs) what it is. It's playing dead. Uh, It's done by a variety of organisms, mostly to avoid getting eaten. Um, And uh, though sometimes it is done to avoid getting eaten by your mate, male nursery web spiders will present an insect to a female. And if she accepts, they will mate. If she doesn't, he immediately is like, (laughs) I'm not, don't worry about me. (laughs) Just, uh, you didn't like my insect? That's not only the shame I feel is so deep. I've died. Don't worry about me anymore. Because otherwise she will eat him? Is that why? I think, yes. That Yes. Oh, because okay. of uh, sexual cannibalism. What an extra uh, the Eastern... horrible wrinkle that some animals have to deal with in that. Yeah, really? I'm so <laughs> glad we don't have that. Yeah. The eastern hognose snake turns its belly up and lets its tongue hang out of its mouth and releases <laughs> a bad-smelling liquid from some glands it has. <laughs> so it's not like I don't just look dead. I smell. I'm rotting. Uh-huh. Like, you don't want anything to do with this. So th- thanatosis is a uh, pretty pretty common thing in the animal kingdom. Uh, it's it's interesting evidence of how animals have a concept of death, maybe both for the animal playing dead and for the possible predators avoiding them. Mm. So like they know that they know that that's something mm-hmm. that's not alive or different from alive in yeah. some way. And that's not a fun play either. That's like a, I'm in mortal danger. Yeah. I'm going to excrete yeah, no, my glands and pretend to be dead play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Possums uh, definitely also do this. That's not a myth or anything. Possums totally play dead. Now, on to, the, to continue the theme of gargoyles, our second word <laughs> is gargalesis. Wow. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Can anybody give me the scientific definition of gargalesis? Well, pretending to be a rock. How about that? (laughs) That's gargoyles do do that. Yeah. Yeah. Gargalesis? Um, Okay, gargling makes me think of like gargling fluid rather than gargoyle. (laughs) I feel like the gargoyles to throw us off (laughs) or to throw me off specifically. Yeah. I'm going to say it's like when you're a kid or when you're an aquatic animal and you suck water into your mouth and you spray other people with it. Or you when like blow a, a raspberry. Or an aquatic animal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when it's when you don't think about how gross it is, when you have yeah. no no right. reason oh. to think it's gross. But you right. like suck water in your mouth and you spit it out at someone or you like blow a raspberry. Um, mm-hmm. So like any sort of like spit play <laughs> is that... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, spit play. That's very a normal way to phrase it. Uh, It just really hit me how much public pool water I've had in my mouth in my life. And Mm -hmm. that was not a good idea ever. It's wild to watch my son in the bath just put bath water in his mouth. And that's like your own water. Stop. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, I can't, can't, dad. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's instinctual. It's part of this evolutionary urge, and so now you can call yeah. it orange. Stop gargleizing. Um, well, you're both wrong, but Sari's definitely closer to uh, the truth. Okay. It is a heavy, laughter-inducing tickling. Oh. Ah. So there's two kinds of tickling that were defined by G. Stanley Hall and Arthur <laughs> Allen in 1897. Okay. They r- wrote papers including the psychology of tickling, laughing, and the comic. And the other kind of tickling is called kinesmesis. And that's more of the like light tickling that's more irritating than like laughter uh, inducing, which yeah. you can do to yourself. You can like do this and you're like, ah, I don't want to stop touching me that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, whereas you kind of can't. Most people can't, though apparently people with schizophrenia can tickle themselves um, sometimes, and we don't know why. But uh, we uh, the, the the kind where you uh, get tickled or tickle someone else, and there's lots of like big giggles. That's called gargolesis. Apparent apparently, according to these yeah. two guys two who guys. decided they would call it that. Who I bet were really fun guys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, they were into it. Um, they were least. tickling a bunch of people. Kinesmesis is found across um, many mammals, but gargolesis is, is very rare, um, and it may be that chimpanzees and other primates may experience it. Some research think that young rats emit like a high-frequency vocalization uh, when, when fingers move across their back, uh, though it's not clear if this is related to gargolesis. So it's a weirdly specific-to-humans thing. It's not that much that we do that other animals don't do. Chins um, and gargolesis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the internet. Those three yeah. things. That's it. <laughs> also, the television program Gargoyles. <laughs> the last word uh, is two words. It's a term, I guess you would call it. It is Shannon's number. What is Shannon's number? <sighs> Shannon's number. Definitely did. I did not know what this was. I'll tell you that. Interesting. Okay. My first thought is like a seven degrees from Kevin Bacon, like your bacon number uh, or something. Yeah. But I don't know how that applies to play. Like how well, many I mean, how- that's a game, isn't it? Kinda. I don't know. I can't get into Hank's head and see what counts as a game or not a game. Mm. To him, the whole whole world could be a game, like the Joker. He's a, got a Joker mindset, you know? Just pulling the strings over here. <laughs> yeah. You have no idea. I feel like I'm maybe actually it's... Elon Musk. Oh, no. All the time. <laughs> You've been causing all this chaos on Twitter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You thought that was a real guy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's just another book character. <laughs> um. I think I'm feeling sports for some reason. I think it's okay. like a spread of some sort of like base. It's baseball. I'm gonna say it's baseball. It's a baseball spread. Yeah, mm-hmm. whatever that means is what it is. <laughs> it's definitely a game. There you have that. So you both are very non-specific, but I'm just gonna cut you off. So we've got something to do with uh, uh, some kind of relation to other people through a person named Shannon. And we've got something to do with a uh, baseball. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> base- to do with a baseball. With baseball, the game does Sport. have to do with yeah. baseball, the ball. And that one's going to go to Sam because it is an actual game and it is a number about a game. Mm-hmm. That is a game that people play. But the game is chess. Ah, very oh. different. Very different, but closer than I think the Kevin Bacon game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is... The number of possible moves in a chess game. 
So how how many different ways a chess game could go? Mm-hmm. And it was uh-huh. uh, uh, based on the work of an American mathematician, Claude Shannon, who wrote a 1950 paper, uh, basically making the argument that you cannot create a p- computer program that could beat a person at chess because there's no way that you could like that the the computer program could predict the total number of potential moves in a chess game and so calculated that that number which is 10 to the 120th power which is going to seem like i don't a know lot. that might be big that might be small it's very big the number of atoms in the universe is 10 to the 80th oh so dear it's much much bigger than that and i was gonna say it seemed like a pretty small number to me <laughs> <laughs> Big, it's a big number. Uh, it's you know, it's it's one with uh, with 120 zeros behind it, mm-hmm. and that's that's going to be a tricky one for a computer to figure out. But artificial intelligence solved that problem, and Shannon, it turns out, was wrong. There are in the game of Go, uh, 10 to the 170 possible moves. So that's even mm-hmm. another like way way beyond chess. Where are computers at with that one? Totally better than people. Uh, yeah. One, not computers, but one particular computer. Sorry, program. Shannon. <laughs> Sorry, Shannon. Well, I guess you're going to have to live with that. Probably mm-hmm. not, because you're probably dead by now. Roll over in your grave, Shannon. <laughs> you're wrong about math. I hope that none of his like loved ones are <laughs> listening. <laughs> well, good work, everybody. Um, Sari got two of those, and Sam got one. Next, we're going to take a short break. Then we'll be back for the fact off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. Sideshow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as (laughs) the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the 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 part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, <laughs> yeah. Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, because it's a, you know, I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. 
That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome back, everybody. Get ready for the fact off. Panelists have brought science facts to present to me in an attempt to blow my mind. And after they have presented their facts, I will judge those facts and award Hank Bucks to the one that I think will make the best TikTok. But to decide who goes first, I have a trivia question. Let me read it to you. We just talked about uh, the Shannon number. Claude Shannon assumed that a typical chess game, to get that number, he assumed that it would be about 40 moves. Um, So that's the average number of moves in a chess game. He's being conservative. But... Uh, games can go longer than that. Much longer. How long was the longest game of professional chess? Question of clarification. Yes, sir. This says 40 moves per player. Are we guessing per player or total games? 40 moves. You are right. Per player. I feel like you could be... 40 moves per player feels low to me. That feels high to me. I get beat way faster than that, I think. Oh. I just... Okay. Maybe I play Maybe against you're really equally good bad. At chess. No, I I'm know. horrible at chess. I think I've only played against my dad, and we're both bad. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> the longest game of chess was uh, 500 moves per player. Ooh. So 1,000 okay. total moves. I was going to guess, okay, you have now changed my expectations once more. I'm well, gonna- I didn't know. I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to guess uh, 150 moves per person. I think that, ooh, who wins that? Sari wins. Wow. It's 269 oh. um, per, uh, moves, I think, per player, though it doesn't say in the <laughs> show notes. So either way, Sari wins. The game was played in Belgrade in 1989, and it was played by two Serbian players. The total game lasted 20 hours and 15 minutes, and it ended in a draw. They just gave, they fell asleep. They must have. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm so done now. I don't even want to play against you anymore. Yeah, I mean, like, they kind of must have just been chasing each other around the board. Mm -hmm. What do you even do? Yeah, you're not good enough to, like, trap your other person (laughs) in some clever way. Yeah, they're the two worst chess players in the world. (laughs) (laughs) We're really good at the beginning part of the game. Uh Uh-huh. And then everyone's got queens, and so you're just, like, moving and moving. Yeah, Mm. yeah. Sari, that means you get to go first, or if Uh you want to. Um, sure, I'll go first. So howler monkeys are known for their distinct fur colors, 
loud, raspy roars, and for being pretty lackadaisical, resting for about half the time they are awake. They live in trees, mostly in South America, and are herbivores that eat the leaves around them. And primates aren't the best at digesting leaves, even with specialized digestive enzymes. So it's been commonly assumed that howler monkeys' not-so-nutritious diet means they don't have an abundance of energy, which is tied to their lazy behavior. Sometimes, though, they spend some of that energy playing with each other, doing classic cartoon monkey things like hanging from their tails or making funny faces. And a big question in any kind of play research is, why would you waste your precious leaf energy doing all that? Mm -hmm. A paper published in April 2022 in the journal Animal Behavior attempted to find some answers by studying seven groups of two subspecies of howler monkeys. There were some hinted at developmental reasons where adult monkeys would play with juveniles, especially in big groups, but the most unusual thing these researchers found was that adult howler monkeys would play with other adults most often when they were going on a special foraging trip for fruit. And fruits are a fairly rare and high-value food in the treetops because they're full of sugar and easily digestible. And howler monkeys, surprisingly, don't really fight over it. Even for a social animal, that's a little weird given that they don't have a social hierarchy like some other primates for who gets to eat the fruit. And they don't use more well-studied kinds of primate social bonding like grooming each other to like get mm-hmm. close and share. Maybe because they're too busy napping to groom each other. I don't know. Uh, that wasn't in the paper. That was my speculation. <laughs> so instead, these researchers supposed that play like making silly faces at each other, helps diffuse tension when one monkey finds a really good fruit. Kind of like someone cracking a joke to break the tension at an awkward dinner. Uh, Howler monkey adults could just play around to keep each other from getting stressed out or getting too grumpy at each other, fighting over a delicious fruit prize. So play is still incredibly mysterious and nuanced, but this is another grain of evidence that it might have to do with just coping with the world and what it throws at you. And I guess the lesson is that when you're feeling a little grumpy because you didn't get a yummy fruit, just do a little goof and then it might help. Yeah. So who gets to eat it? Just whoever found it? The I think so. It. I don't He's know. Like, yeah. I'm eating this, yeah. but don't worry But I'm going to make it. a silly face and so you yeah. won't be mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Just uh, does this work? Uh, on people. So if I'm having a disagreement with my wife, can I just make a little goofy face? Or if you find a tr- buried treasure and you're like... If I find a buried... <laughs> what do people want? <laughs> Probably buried treasure. Yeah. Yeah. So if you find a buried treasure and you're like competing with your arch rival, obviously, John, to c- get to the buried treasure, you both arrive mm-hmm. there. You arrive there first. You're hoisting the chest above your head. Yeah. Make a Which fart I definitely sound. can't do, by the way. Okay. You're hoisting Unless it's like the chest. a really, a really crap trend. <laughs> yeah. Just nothing good in there. <laughs> it's a blanket! <laughs> Pillows, too! You've picked up one gold doubloon and you're flipping uh, it yeah. in the air luxuriously. Which yeah, which yeah. is plenty. Uh, you should make a fart joke and then maybe yeah, right. he'll be like, ah, man, I can't you deserve that. At you. I can't stay mad yeah. at you. That's the monkey's whole ethos on life. I can't stay mad at you. Yeah. I like that. Uh, Sam, what do you got? Of all mankind's inventions, video games are surely one of the finest. They're just (laughs) a a joy to play. But what about Uh animals? Don't you think that bird eating bugs outside your window or the cat sleeping at your feet would rather be performing triple jumps and butt stomps with our friend Super Mario? Well, (laughs) some scientists thought that, 
and they did something about it too. Scientists at Purdue University's Center for Animal Welfare Science released a paper last year, which was the result of studies of pigs playing video games <laughs> going back to the early 1990s. And these pigs got pretty good at video games for animals with no hands. So the team set up a computer and a heavy-duty joystick in a pig pen and trained four pigs, Hamlet, Omelette, Ebony, and Ivory, to approach the machine <laughs> and manipulate a joystick with their mouths and snouts to play a game, which was originally designed for chimpanzee research and the goal of the game was to guide a dot into a little goal area and the goal would like move between rounds once you got it in there. Mm-hmm. When they'd hit the goal, a dispenser would give them some dog food, which, okay, maybe that's not so much playing exactly, but isn't the serotonin that humans get from playing video games sort of like <laughs> microscopic dog food for the brain? Plus, the research pointed out that there were times when the dispenser would malfunction and not give any food, but the pigs still kept playing in the game anyway. So after about four months, the pigs were, first of all, super excited to wake up every day and go play the game. They would like wait by the gate and like be really happy. But uh, they were also (laughs) performing above how they would have performed if they were just making random movements. So that showed that pigs had the motor skills and the ability to recognize that what they were doing by moving the stick was affecting the thing on screen. The best pig player was hitting the goal 76% of the time, uh, though overall they weren't as good at gaming as monkeys from another study, but they were much better than this dog that I found footage of who was trying to play a game, <laughs> and they had tried to teach the dog the game for a whole year, and the dog still could not figure out how to play the game. So, Was it the same game? The, dog. the dot game? It was the same game, yeah. Okay. And the dog was just like, he looked so sad. He was just like, I know <laughs> what, I don't do you know want me to do? do? <laughs> Yeah. I'll lick your face. <laughs> I Should can... I lick your face? <laughs> but you may be asking, why are they doing this? The bit. researchers were interested in animal welfare because they were from the, the Purdue yeah, University. That's, of, what, that's yeah. what the, that was in the name. This is right in there in the name. So they were using games to test the pig's intelligence and self-agency, which in turn would help us figure out how we should be treating pigs and how to make them more comfortable. Uh, Related studies showed that pigs could also use climate control devices and lights installed in their pens. In one weird conclusion of the study, the researchers suggested that they would look into if animals could learn how to use touch screens to communicate. Which, if animals are using touchscreens, I feel like that is one of the points at which we should say, we can't eat this animal anymore. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So in conclusion, we may be approaching a future in which when you get killed in Fortnite, you might hear oinking coming from the other player instead (laughs) of a 12-year-old with a potty mouth. (laughs) The the fact that came to my mind when you were talking about this was that um, in the first Air Force One, which uh, was Richard Nixon's Air Force One, mm-hmm. I think. I don't know. For, I'm not for sure that this is... Tr- You're not a president guy. But, You're a science guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, he ha- always complained about it being the wrong temperature. And so he would uh-huh. say, can you turn turn the heat up or can you turn the cool on? And eventually they installed a thermostat so that he could control it himself, except it didn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so what a it, rude r- fact about <laughs> in this context. <laughs> yeah. Well, it makes it, it made me think like if the if the pigs can control their own climate, they're like I can't eat them because they are as advanced as Richard Nixon. <laughs> 
thought you were implying that. Just give them a little thermostat. Don't let them control the temperature. <laughs> just, and they'll just, just go have over them to feel it. Like they're doing it. They're yeah. like, God dang it. I turned it all the way down. I'm still quite warm. Yeah. <laughs> oink, oink. oink, oink. Yeah. We gotta get these boys a touch screen so that we can move away move we move on. We have to, I think. It was yeah. disturbing. I was watching. There's lots there's videos of these pigs. And they're like having a hell of a time playing this little arcade yeah. game. So Sarah came into that with a one point lead, and I think that Sam made it back. Because oh, I hmm. wanna tell TikTok about these pigs. There's videos too. It's cute. I can film the video with my camera. That's yeah. how they like it on TikTok. They're like, don't import footage. That's work. That's how Just they film like your it screen. On TikTok. Oh, yeah. That's so weird. Those monsters. What are you guys doing over there? <laughs> it doesn't seem authentic if you like edit it. Huh. That's how it works. Well, congratulations, Sam. Thank you. Um, also, I think that we should all be eating less pigs. So, so including me. So we're going to make that case Mm -hmm. for the world. All right. That means it's time to ask the science couch where we've got uh, ask a listener question to our uh, virtual couch of finely honed scientific minds. This uh, question is from Drungus Prophet on Discord. Apparently, (laughs) what is the most complicated game and why is it Magic the Gathering? We just talked about the Shannon number of Go and how it's so you could sort of count it as like the Shannon number. Which is how, uh, like, as an actual sort of objective metric of complexity, there's there's one to the 170th potential moves. That's pretty com- complicated. But is there mm-hmm. another way to think about this? Yeah, I think that is how a lot of mathematicians think about complexity. So in, mm. in mathematics and computer science, to my understanding, so this is not my field. I'm going to do my best. Uh, complexity is how difficult is it to look at a game board and see how many potential moves are left and from and also like potentially guess a winner like go to a win state and Mm -hmm. so when you're studying the complexity of a game like magic you have to take into account like the deck order the number of different cards you can pick from to put in those decks Mm -hmm. and like the ways that games can play and decisions can be made if a computer were to play magic and like right. how many, it's outcomes. not just the card you play. It's how you use the card and how the, also cards can be interacted and affected by other cards, which mm-hmm. might get, you know, you get some exponentiality going on there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And like what happens when you discard a card or what happens when uh, like a card has you draw two more, like there are so many mm-hmm. effects interwoven right. in a game like magic and they just have created so many freaking cards. Right. Yeah. It, it definitely, it's definitely closer to the most complicated game if you can play with illegal decks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which which uh, increases the number of, of playable cards by a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that's their definition. That's the mathematical definition of complexity is like, can you plug it into a computer and brute force your way to a win condition by mm-hmm. like playing through those, those qualities? So, so that's the complexity as far as like mathematics and computer science. And based on that definition of complexity, a couple of nerds did the math and were like, how how complex is magic? Oh, with magic specifically. With magic specifically, yes. And so it's published (laughs) on Archive, um, which is like the the public domain 
open open source yeah, yeah not necessarily peer reviewed um just submitted but still quite rigorous and they determined that magic the gathering it is impossible to just brute force your way to predict who's going to win a game of magic by looking at a deck of cards and the oh. layout there are too mm. many decisions to make mm-hmm. Which is different than can you train an AI to play magic, which you can. Sure. Because that's based on probability rather than like at some point you like hit a threshold where there's a better decision or a worse decision. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's different from like how long the rule book is. And the way that they defined this was in the context of Turing machines. And this is where my computer science knowledge gets a little wibbly, but I'll try my best. And Sam, call me out if something's too confusing. Um, So (laughs) I thought you were going to be like... If I get something wrong about it. <laughs> oh, yeah, if I get something wrong about oh, it. And so I was going to say, I don't know shit about that. So. <laughs> um, so Turing machines, in my understanding of them, this is like old knowledge plus rapid Googling. It's not a real computer. It's like a theoretical computer. It is the simplest possible like thing that you could compute, where it's just one symbol after another after another. So a lot of visualizations, it's like a ticker tape of ones and zeros. Like hypothetically, through a long sequence, through an infinitely long sequence, this like strip of paper can do everything that your laptop or like the computer in front of you is calculating right right now. Mm -hmm. Like you can brute force any calculation. And no one actually builds them because they're not useful to build. It is useful as a thought experiment for computer scientists and mathematicians because it it says that if you have a long enough string of numbers and a long enough thing like referring to each other, then you can do computations. And so, right, and you can compare the length of the piece of paper for mm-hmm. different mm-hmm. situations. Yeah, and so based on that definition, uh, these computer scientists said that you could create a Turing machine out of magic cards. Like you could line up a sequence of magic cards that are mapped to something else. And then like there are enough functions within the cards where it's like, go look at this one. This one does 30 damage. This is Mm -hmm. that you can create a rudimentary Ah. computer to create calculations, like do calculations with magic cards. What I'm gathering from this, Sari, is that yes? Please translate Magic it into the word. <laughs> Magic the Gathering is complex. Uh, whether it is the most complicated game, we, we I don't think that they did this for other games, so we can't really say. Mm-hmm. But definitely is a complicated game, and we need these computer scientists to do this to uh, Uno and chess <laughs> and Settlers of Catan, mm-hmm. and tell me which one is the most complicated game, or maybe question asker, maybe it's your job. Maybe, maybe, maybe Drungus Prophet on Discord needs to do these calculations. Mm-hmm. If you want to ask the Science Couch your question, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. Or you can join the Tangents Patreon and ask us on Discord. Thank you to at the Blacklight, at Quill and Bean, and everybody else who asked us your questions for this episode. If you like this show and you want to help us out, we'd love it if you would do that. You can go to patreon.com slash SciShowTangents, where you can become a patron and get access to things like our newsletter and our bonus episodes, lots of other weird stuff, just acres and acres of deep weirdness. Second, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. That helps us know what you like about the show, helps other people like know what you like about the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell, tell people, people about, about us. us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. And I've been Sam Schultz. 
SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Sam Schultz. Our editor is Seth Glicksman. Our story editor is Alex Billow. Our social media organizer is Paolo Garcia Prieto. Our editorial assistants are Dabuki Chakravarti and Emma Douster. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our executive producers are Caitlin Hoffmeister and me, Hank Green. And we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. One more thing! Unsurprisingly, there's not a rich historical record of poop-centric games, but at least in recent decades, people have held cow-chip-throwing competitions where contestants throw big, dried discs of cow poop as far as possible. The Guinness World Record holder is Steve Werner, who threw a cow chip 266 feet, or 81.1 meters, on August 14th, 1981. If you're going for a Guinness World Record, I bet that's one that might not be too hard to take off. <laughs> no, don't take this away from Steve. <laughs> you know that people are still buying him beers off of that, right? Someone can do it. Someone who's listening to this podcast right now, I bet yeah. you're I bet. strong yeah. enough and have the technique to throw Get out a disc field, of cow poop. Find some cow poop and start yeah. throwing, guys. Come on. Mm-hmm.